great because it's really important that as a church, we are very relevant to our community. Last week, Becky said to me, she asked me a question. She said, if you were going to describe the purpose of Lake Effect Church in one sentence without using any Christian words, what would you say? I mean, explain Lake Effect Church without saying Jesus or God or redemption or holiness or, or the cross. What would you say? And I thought, you know, that's a really good question that she asked me. Because if I can't explain the purpose of Lake Effect Church without using church words, am I really relevant for the community? Would we really be relevant for the community if the only thing that we were existed for was all really churchy stuff? So I knew she asked me a really good question because it's important that as a church and as a community, we are the church that we are relevant for our community. Some of you have heard over the last few years, I talk a lot about this post-Christian culture. And some of you hear this word, we use it. It's become kind of a common word to say post-Christian culture. But I think some of us are not exactly sure what does post-Christian culture really mean. Does it mean that the culture is anti-Christian? Not exactly. It does have some overlap, but I want to explain post-Christian culture. See, this terminology, like who actually came up with the term post-Christian culture? People aren't exactly sure, but a lot of the credit goes towards a man by the name of Philip Reif. He was a, a major sociologist in our country until he died in 2006. Some people would call him one of the major cultural commentators of um, the last century. And what Philip came up, he, he's a good at analyzing culture and how society responds to religion. And what Philip said is there's three main uh, ways to understand Christianity's influence on a culture. He said, first of all, there's some cultures that are pagan cultures, meaning they have no idea what Christianity is. They're not for Christianity. They're not against it. They just don't know it exists. That is some of countries like maybe in the 1040 window where there's people groups who've actually never, ever heard the name Jesus. So that might be more of a pagan culture. And so have you know that we send missionaries to try to influence that culture for Jesus. And then you have like an American culture who for a long time was considered a Christian culture. You know, up until maybe the 50s and 60s in our country, people had great respect for the church. They had great respect for Christian principles and values. And if the church said it, it was true. If the church said do it, people did it. If the church said don't do it, people listened. That was America till maybe the 50s and 60s. And now America's more of a post-Christian culture. That doesn't mean our society's against Christianity. What they're against is more the authority of Scripture. See, our American culture, we still like Christian values. We like Christian principles. We like Christian concepts. We like the idea of going to heaven. We like the idea of forgiveness. We like the idea of restoration and wholeness and, and everlasting life. We like Jesus as our friend, but our culture no longer really wants the absolutes of Scripture. And that's what it means to live in a post-Christian culture. Is as Mark Sayers says, a country, they want the kingdom of God, but they don't want the king. They want everything, all the benefits of the kingdom of God, but they don't want the absolutes that comes with the king. So that's who we are. So that's what our, our life is like for us as a church. How do you influence a culture that really doesn't want the king? That's a good question. So I knew when Becky said to me, how would you describe Lake Effect Church without using Christian words? I had to have a really good answer. So I thought about it for a couple seconds, and I said to her, you know, Lake Effect Church exists to help people make sense of their lives. Lake Effect Church exists to help people make sense of their life. 
In other words, we as a church, we're a community, community of people that help other people understand the meaning and the purpose of their life. That's what we do. See, it really doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus for 30 years or if you've never followed Jesus. We all have those days and moments in our life where we're like, this makes no sense. There's things that happen to us on a daily basis, weekly basis, and you look at it and you say, now why is this happening? I didn't expect this. I didn't predict this. I didn't hope for this. I didn't do some behavior that would cause this. And yet we're living with the consequences of things and we're like, this doesn't make sense. And so we as a community gather occasionally, weekly, or we gather outside of the church to help other people when life doesn't make sense. And we like to support each other when life doesn't make sense. So as a community, as a church, we like to help other people outside of the church when life doesn't make sense as well. And part of dealing with life that doesn't make sense is waiting. We do a lot of waiting. I think if I probably took a survey here, I think everybody would either be waiting for something to happen or waiting for something to stop happening. A lot of us find ourselves waiting. And while of us, we really don't like waiting. But we know waiting is a part of life and actually waiting is very good for us because it helps us to develop patience. And I want to talk about patience today. Because patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Patience is something that God is trying to make a deep, integral part of our character. But we know patience is difficult. Even King David talked about it. King David talked about those problems that you have in your life. King David referred to them in Psalm 49 as riddles. I like what he said in Psalm 49, verse 4. David said, I listened carefully to many proverbs, and I solve riddles with inspiration from a harp. Isn't that a good word? Yeah. See, David is saying, those, there's those things that happen in my life that don't make sense. I don't understand them. So what I do is I lean into God, and I say, God, would you explain this to me? I lean into his word, into his proverbs, but David also leaned into his harp. David was a musician. He played his harp. I think that gave him comfort. That gave him encouragement. And I think all of us find things to do when we're waiting. And that's what King David did. And we as a community, we support each other when we wait. Well, we're waiting for God, but we're also waiting. We help support each other. And patience is a good thing. We all need patience. We all know we do. See, patience is truly a gift from God. Patience is the ability to stay engaged when life seems difficult and seems complicated. Patience is a gift from God that gives us the ability to wait. But the problem with patience is patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We know, what, 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 we know that with fruit, it sometimes takes a while to grow. You don't put an apple seed in the ground and boom, you got an apple. You got to wait. And sometimes we don't like waiting. But if we want to be a proper reflection of Christ, we need to allow that characteristic of patience and waiting develop in our life. I'll be honest with you, when I was preparing this message on patience, I thought, here I am, a pastor, and I don't even have a really good definition of the word patience. I don't really have a good one. See, I think for me, a lot of times, patience means the 
ability to not do anything stupid while I wait. (laughs) Patience to me was just the ability to endure while I wait for God to do what I asked Him to do or what I told Him to do. I think a lot of us, we think of patience as just being nice while we wait and not doing anything too stupid while we wait. And that, that's a good thing because we all know if you get too impatient, you can do some really dumb things. But I think often when we look at patience, we think it's worthless, like it's useless. We think of waiting that way. We think of waiting as just waste of time. I mean, I don't think any of us get to the checkout line at the grocery store and there's five carts in front of us and we think, yay, I get to wait for 20 minutes. No, we think of waiting as stupid and non-productive. There's times in the grocery store it does seem a little non-productive and not useful. But the time that we're waiting on God is a whole different thing. The scripture's pretty clear that while you wait for God, He renews your strength. Over and over again, the Bible tells us the benefits of waiting, but to be honest with you, sometimes we really don't like that. I think we're so conditioned in our fast-paced culture to think waiting is bad. Speed is good. But the process of waiting is actually a blessing in itself. It's through the process of waiting that you actually find the transformation. I mean, think about it with pregnancy. You don't get, go from pregnant to birthing a child. You go through a waiting period of nine months, and through that nine months, the promise is actually developing. The promise is actually growing during that nine months. It's the same thing with planting an apple tree. You put the seed in the ground, it might take a year or two before you produce an apple. But all the time you're waiting, something is actually happening. There's development that happens while we wait. And we need to be, that's why we need patience to help us as we wait. Because there's a lot of purpose in the waiting. There's a lot of refinement that God does in our life while we wait. There's a lot of transformation that happens in our life while we wait. So we have to have a different perspective of waiting. If our perspective of waiting is just a pain, it's annoying, we might miss out on the development that God wants to do in our lives while we wait. So I want to read 2 Corinthians 4 today. I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's so good. I love 2 Corinthians because Paul's honest. He's telling us what it's really like. He's talking about the difficult things in his life. And I love 2 Corinthians, this letter, because it gives us permission to be real. So listen to Paul. Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, therefore we don't lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of God who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We also carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. I love that chapter. I love the fact that Paul says we're pressed on every side. We're perplexed. We're persecuted, we're struck down, and we suffer. I think a lot of times in church culture we wonder, can we really be that honest? I think a lot of times we feel that way, but we're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Maybe I'm just supposed to say, this too will pass. But Paul's honest. He says, look, this is how I feel, this is what it's like. And Paul has the credibility to say these things. If you don't know Paul very well, you might think, well, Maybe his life is really easy. But Paul had a very difficult life. Paul was the kind of life, if anything can go wrong or bad for following Jesus, it happened to Paul. He was beat up more times than we can count. He was in jail probably more years than we can count. He was persecuted. He was shipwrecked. He was abandoned. He was neglected. All for the sake of the gospel. So when Paul says we suffer, we're persecuted, we're prosecuted, he has credibility to say that. But see, the reason that we listen to Paul is also he brings a redemptive out of suffering. He doesn't just lament, oh, life is hard. But Paul says, look, there's a benefit, people. There's a benefit to all of this. Paul does not end his letter with lament saying this is hard and he's difficult. But Paul says, look, all this hard stuff going on, it's for your benefit. These difficult things in your life, it's for your benefit. All these hard things, Paul's saying, you know what? It's for your benefit. Because it's going to grow more of the character of Christ in you. Paul's saying, and as you grow the more of the character of Christ in you, you are going to be a better witness for Christ. So Paul's saying, it's a benefit. And again, that's one of those hard things to admit. Because we would just prefer if you could just read the book. But sometimes you have to go through the hard struggles in your life. So that's why I love the fact that verse 16 through 18, Paul says, therefore, we're not losing heart. Paul says, though outwardly we're wasting you away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That's your promise. 
You got a struggle going on? You're being renewed day by day. Life's hard? You're being renewed day by day. Life's difficult? You're being renewed day by day. Promise number one, God's renewing you day by day. And then Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles. First of all, you think light and momentary. Uh, Paul, really, did you say that? Because my light, my troubles don't seem light and momentary. But Paul's not being insensitive. Paul's encouraging us to compare them to the eternal glory that we're going to receive. Paul's not discounting the troubles in your life. He didn't call your troubles light and momentary. He said your troubles are light and momentary compared to the eternal good that God's going to bring out of them. Paul's asking you to do a little accounting here. Paul's saying, I want you to make two lists. On one list, I want you to write down every hard thing that's happened in your life. Write down the things that have hurt you, that have harmed you, the things that have perplexed you. Write down the persecution. Write down the rumors that people have said about you. Write down how your finances suffered. Maybe your job has suffered. Write down every hard thing that has happened in your life. And Paul says that those are light compared to the eternal glory you're going to receive. See, glory is an interesting word. Glory means heaviness. Paul is saying those two lists, it's like a scale. On one side, you put your hard things. On the other side, you put what God is going to bring out of it. And Paul says you weigh the two. What's going to weigh more? All the good that God's going to bring out of it. That's what Paul's instruction is to do. Saying on that one side, you write down all the hard things in your life. On the other side, you think of all the good things that God's going to bring out of it. That's kind of a blank list because you're not really sure what God's going to do out of it. Some of us don't know. I don't know how God's going to restore or reuse me in the future. I don't exactly know. We have some good ideas from the biblical promises. But that's what Paul's encouraging us to do. He says, look, your eternity is going to be way better off than any of the struggles you experience. But not just your eternity, what God's going to do in your life right now when he's restoring you day by day. That's Paul's encouragement. Don't just focus on the hard things. Start thinking about what God's going to bring out of all the hard things in your life. That's Paul's instruction. He's saying this side of the list, the eternal things, that's heavy. That's really, really heavy what God's going to do. These little hard things in your life, that's hard. It's difficult. But it's light in comparison. So Paul's encouraging us all, focus on what God's going to do out of it. I remember John Mark Comer brought this up. I was listening to a podcast, and some of you probably remember, back in the 80s and 90s, we used to say a lot, a person so heavenly-minded they have no earthly good. It was kind of, I think, in the 80s and 90s, our ways to say to people, you're taking Jesus a little too serious. So they would say this little saying, so heavenly-minded, you do no earthly good, meaning you're so focused on Jesus that you're not focused on anything on the earth. Do y'all remember that? Did y'all hear that back in the 80s and the 90s a lot? That was crazy advice. But I think right now you could say, we are so earthly-minded, we do no heavenly good. I think sometimes we are so earthly-minded focusing on that list of hard things that we don't even think of what Jesus could do out of all that trouble. 
Sometimes we just focus, we focus on that earthly list. So this is hard, this was difficult, this was challenging. We got to remember what's God going to do out of it. How's God going to transform you? How's God going to renew you? How's going to God use you? That's what Paul is saying that we have to do. Our troubles are light and momentary in comparison to what God wants to do in our life. That's the reality that we have to live with, that we have to live with. But see, for most of us, we don't compare the hard things to the eternal things. We compare our hard list to other people's list. We'll a lot of times say, this is hard in my life. That person has it a whole lot easier. How come that person has a better job? How come that person's kids? How come that person's spouse? How come that person's career? Usually we compare our hard list to other people's list instead of comparing them to what God wants to bring in our life. That's not helpful. That just leads to discouragement or actually delusion. If you just compare what you're going through to other people's list. Paul doesn't say do that. He doesn't say, oh, compare your hardships to Lori's hardship. No. He says compare them to what God wants to do in your life. Problems, light. The future, that's heavy. That's why we're not hopeless. That's why we don't lose despair. That's why we don't give up. That's why we don't throw in the towel. Because the future's heavy. That's a promise. God promised it. He promised it. It's going to happen. Paul told us to count on that. It's going to happen. Your hard list is nothing compared to what God wants to do in your life. Not just in heaven, but even now as he restores you. And see, because that's God's promise, he has to do it. That's why he gives us patience to wait. Because if we don't have the patience, we might run off and circle someplace else. I think one of the characters in the Bible that I love the most who had patience to wait is Simeon. Some of you know the Christmas story in Luke 2. By the time we get to verse 25 and 26, got the tree up and did the Jesus stuff, we forget about Simeon. But Simeon's this old man who's in the Christmas story. And at some point in his life, God promised Simeon, and he said, look, you're not going to die until the Messiah is born. So we don't know if God made that promise to Simeon when he was 12 years old or when he was 80 years old. We don't know. Most people kind of think Simeon had held on to that promise for quite a long time. But he had to wait. And where did Simeon wait? He waited in the temple. He waited in the presence of God. Because he had received a promise that someday this Messiah would come. Someday this Savior would come. And he would bring comfort. And all the Israelites, they wanted that. They wanted comfort. Their lives were hard. Their life was uneasy. It wasn't easy being a faithful Jewish person living in the Roman Empire. Their list of light and momentary was probably a lot harder than ours. 
It wasn't easy being a Jew back in the first century living in the Roman Empire when you're trying to follow God. And so all these Jewish people are waiting because the Bible had talked about someday a comforter would come. And Simeon waited day after day. And what I love about Simeon is the Bible describes him as a man that patiently waited. But not did he just wait and sit back, but it said he waited with purity and holiness. That man had a gift of patience. To wait with purity and wholeness, because we know what often happens when you wait too long. You kind of become unraveled, and that's when you do some stupid stuff, because you wait too long. But Simeon had the gift of patience, so he could wait a long time. So I think sometimes when we're waiting, we worry we're going to miss it. Sometimes when you wait so long, you think, did I miss it? Did it happen to me and I miss it? I think that's what we hate about waiting in line for 20 minutes at, My- 20 minute at Myers. You're like, what am I missing? I have to be missing out on something. You're like, you don't have to be anywhere, really, this 20 minutes. But no, we're so wired to think, I missed it. I could have got home earlier. I could have got home and did something or missing it. But see, this, what I love about the story of Simeon is Luke 2, verse 27. It says, that day the Spirit led him into the temple. Simeon was waiting for Jesus. Year after year, he would go and he'd wait for Jesus. And at the right time, on the day that his promise was to be fulfilled, the Scripture says, the Spirit led him into the temple. That's what God does for us while we wait on him. He leads us to where we need to be to see our promise to be fulfilled. That's the goodness of God. Other translations will say it. For the reason of the promise of God, the Spirit moved him into the temple courts. So he was there when Jesus arrived. When you wait with patience, you don't miss it. When you wait with patience, you're doing something. You're seeing the promise be fulfilled. And at the right time, the Holy Spirit will lead you right to the promise. That is what God is going to do. That's what patience does. It puts us in the right place at the right time. Patience is more than just waiting. Patience puts you in the right place at the right time. And that's what God is going to do for each of us. That's his promise for each of us. That if we allow him to develop that gift of patience in us, he's going to give us the ability to see things formed in our life that we never could imagine or expect or hope for. As we develop the gift of patience, we see that list that God wants to do of the eternal things, we see that grow more and more and more. And that's why Paul says, we don't give up. As long as you got some hard things on one side of your list, you can count you're going to have a lot of good things on your eternal side of the list. That's the faithfulness of God. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
that when you have the attribute of patience in your life, the Holy Spirit will put you at the right place at the right time. Look at Simeon. Year after year after year, he waited. And at just the right time, God put him in the right place. And what did Simeon say after he saw Jesus and he held the baby? He said something like, my promise has been fulfilled and now I can die in peace. Just holding that little baby was enough for him to say, the promise in my life has been fulfilled. Simeon didn't see Jesus grow up. He didn't see Jesus do miracles. He didn't see Jesus die on the cross. But holding that little baby was good enough for him. Fortunately for us, we've seen the little baby grow up. We've seen what that baby can do. We've seen the power of that little child. And we see his death and we see his resurrection. If Simeon can wait, how much easier is it for us to wait? I want to close today by taking communion together. I want us to take communion together remembering that we too, you will wait for us too. <laughs> He doesn't want to miss it. We'll wait for Stu to come back. Isn't that good? He said, I don't want to miss it. <laughs> so I guess I wait. We'll wait. There, we're waiting. We're all being patient. We're waiting for Stu. Because we love Stu. So while we wait, we're going to be in the temple. And we're going to pray. So I'll pray. And Ted, when I'm done praying and Stu's back... How about you just walk around and you can hand these to people. You can sit down. We don't know how long Stu's going to be. Hopefully he didn't leave. All right. So I'm going to be Simeon and pray. Father, we do thank you that you are such a good God. That you keep track of all the hard things in our life to make sure that we get more glory. What a faithful God you are. What a faithful Father you are to provide for everything we need, to keep track of the hard things in our life, to make sure that we get more good things in our life. And Lord, we just say thank you. Lord, we come here today as a family and a community and say thank you for being a good, good father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us gifts of the Holy Spirit and thank you for developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And Lord, we pray today, Lord, for everyone that's here and online, Lord, that you develop in us a deep, deep ability to wait and to wait patiently. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to...